Thomas Jefferson put together his own version of the Bible. And in the version that he put together, he eliminated all the references to the miraculous, all the supernatural. In Thomas Jefferson's Bible, the gospel accounts end with the crucifixion of Christ. There is no resurrection. Famous 18th century Scottish philosopher David Hume believed that no miraculous events, including the resurrection of Christ, have been supported by honest and educated men. Further, he believed that many of the miraculous events that have been attested to have been among barbarous people who are prone to believe anything. Therefore, he concludes, Christianity cannot be believed by any reasonable person. 1992, German theologian Judah Ranke Heinemann wrote a book entitled Putting Away Childish Things, The Virgin Birth, The Empty Tomb, and Other Fairy Tales. You Don't Need to Have a Living Faith. This week, a Presbyterian pastor, different Presbyterian denomination, in Austin, Texas, posted this. Easter is the hardest Sunday of the year for me to preach. Every year, our church fills with new visitors who understandably want to hear the typical children's tales of Easter. How could these poor people know that our church is filled with free thinkers who would walk out if I preached such a message? These innocent visitors expect to hear the story about a dead guy who got up on Easter morning. They want to hear that they and their sweet children will also physically rise up from the grave if they recite and believe the magic words of religion. I can see the Easter flowers in their Easter bonnets begin to wilt as I tell them that Easter happened not when a corpse got up, but when the disciples began to see Christ in each other. Easter is a celebration of this universal love that alone can save the world. Most visitors prefer a comfortable story about walking cadavers that does not require that they themselves resurrect into the common life. Easter is a symbolic affirmation of life, an awakening into our one common life. Interesting. A question for the reverend in Texas and and these others is this. If Easter and the resurrection are only symbolic then where is your purpose for life? Where is your power for what you do? You can talk about love, as they do, love that changes the world, but where does this love come from? You can talk about resurrection simply being able to see Christ in in others, but why would you want anyone to see Christ in you, or why would you want to see Christ in, in anyone else? If he isn't resurrected, then Jesus really isn't that special. He's just a pathetic deceived man who died a tragic death. But if you concede, well, he he didn't rise from the dead, but he was a good man, a great man, a great teacher. He was was a great person. And so you think you should be like him. Where are you going to get the power to be as amazing as he was? Where are you going to get the power to be as selfless as he was, as others-centered, as full of compassion and grace and mercy and forgiveness as he was? Where would be the power to stop living for ourselves and start living for others. Will I get that power from you? Are you going to get that power from me? I guarantee the answer to that is no. Do we just work really hard to muster up these feelings within ourselves? And why should we? After all, 
Is it not survival of the fittest? If I'm stronger than you are, why should I not oppress you? If I'm smarter than you, why should I not exploit you for my own gain? Why should I I not want to do that? Because some dead man named Jesus told me not to? Because you told me not to? Because some other human as infinite as I am told me not to? Why? See, this is why there must be a resurrection. Because without the resurrection, there's no reason to change. Apart from the resurrection, there's no power to change. There's no power to be transformed, to do these wonderful things that we are supposed to do. There's no power to love. There's no power at all to change the world. Is it rational that Jesus rose from the dead? No. Is it logical that he rose from the dead? No. Is it beyond anything that we have ever seen or experienced with any of our physical senses that he rose from the dead? Yes. But isn't that exactly the point? It is beyond us. It is outside of what we have seen or experienced anywhere around us. And that's the point. It's something bigger than we are. And so the resurrection of Christ is key to everything, key to our faith, key to our life, key to our purpose for living, key to our power to change, to be better than we are now, to do better than we're doing, apart from this work within us that we could not do. When Jesus rose from the dead physically, he proclaimed the power of God, God's power over death, God's power not just to create life, but to recreate it. And that same power, the power that raised Christ from the dead, is available to you and to me this morning. And that's what I want us to talk about as we come to Philippians chapter 3. Wow, that was a long introduction, wasn't it? (laughs) So if you have your Bibles open to Philippians chapter 3, if you'll stand as we hear read together the word of the living God. This is beginning in verse 7, the word of the Lord. Paul writes, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask now that through the power of your spirit, you would bless this reading and hearing of your word as you promised to do. Father, may your spirit, we pray, lead us into your truth and no other this morning. We thank you that you bless us with your uh, presence, and now we pray uh, that you would teach uh, open hearts uh, and open minds and ears that are open to hear you. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Look with me again, if you will, at verse 10. The Apostle Paul writes there, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. At the end of that same verse, he writes that he wants to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Paul is seeking power as he writes this verse. Resurrection power. He's seeking power for his life as he lives it in that moment. And then he's seeking power for life after his life on earth ends in death. And Paul knows 
And Paul believes that that power comes from knowing the person of Jesus Christ. You and I often use that word, know, casually. Because we meet someone briefly at a party, and they friend us on Facebook, we say, oh, I know that person. And because you go on their Facebook page and you see the the, the pictures that they have so carefully staged, you're not really going to get to know much about them through those pictures either. At best, you are merely acquainted with that person. You don't know them. But that isn't what Paul's talking about here when he says, I want to know Christ. The word that Paul uses for know means to be really, really familiar with someone because you have been associated with them for so long. It's to know someone because you have shared so many experiences in life with them. When you know Christ in this way, when you are familiar with Him because you've had this ongoing relationship with Him, when you know Christ because you've walked with Him, and the two of you together have been through so many experiences in your life, this is when you can say you know Christ. And as you know Him this way, there is power. Power for your life and power for my life to be more like the one that we know so well because we have spent so much time with him. And so neither you nor I can expect much change to come to our lives. It's not going to happen if we are satisfied with this casual knowledge of Jesus. We can't be more like him if we don't know who he is. In those famous verses that James writes, in his New Testament uh, epistle called James. He's addressing a group of people who say that they have faith, who say, oh, I know Christ. But people for perhaps there is not uh, evidence of change in their life. There's no evidence of their belief. And so James writes, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Faith in Christ Belief in Christ, knowing Christ is more than just an affirmation of his existence. The demons will do that much. And so, what do you mean? What do you mean when you say, oh, I know Christ? The reason Paul, the Apostle Paul, Apostle, Apostle Paul, the man who wrote over half of the New Testament, he says, I I want to know Christ. You know Christ. No, I want to know Christ. Because Paul recognizes from the experiences that he's already had with the Lord Jesus as he's walked with him that there is such depth and complexity to the inner workings of Jesus being, the motivations of his heart that drove him to do the things that he did and to say the things that he said. You could never know him completely, even in your life on earth. And so... To those of us who may say too easily, I know Christ, I know, oh, I know Christ. Let me ask you this question. What do you hope the word know means in the verses I'm going to read? Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. What do you hope Jesus means when he says, I know my sheep? 1 Corinthians 8, 3. But the man who loves God is known by God. What do you hope that means? You are known by God. 2 Timothy 2.19 Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are His. What do you hope that means? God knows you. 
Do you hope that he knows you at the level that you know him? Or do you hope that he knows you just a little bit better than that? Do you want the Lord's level of interest in you, in knowing you and your life and who you are and what you do? Do you want to to, to mirror your interest in him and his life and who he is and what he says to you? Or do you hope that it means a little bit more for you in your life, for the Lord to know you a little better for that than that. The good news for us this morning is this. When you, when I, when anyone confesses before the Lord Jesus Christ, I am a sinner. I am. I'm a sinner. I need to turn my back on that sin. And when you turn your back on that sin and you turn in faith toward Christ as the only one who can do anything about your sin problem, when you do that, you know Christ. But at that point, you've just met him. It's just an introduction as you believe the gospel to who he is. Just like Paul met Christ on the road to Damascus. But like Paul, you and I, we have got to be dissatisfied with having just met the Lord. You and I need to long, as Paul longed, to know him more and more and more because apart from knowing him, there's no power to be like him. Jesus says this in John 17, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's how important knowing Christ is. It equals life. Life. Eternal life. 2 Peter 1.3 His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Knowing Christ in this way leads to him empowering us with everything we need. You're equipped if you know Christ with everything that you need for life and for godliness. There's power here in knowing Christ. There's power for real change because it's God's power. In verse 10, as we look there again, the word power that Paul uses is used in Scripture to to refer to God's power. In fact, Jesus used it to describe God himself. When he's standing before uh, the high priest and they ask him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus answered, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power. Capital P. The right hand of power. Referring to God. And coming with clouds of glory. Romans eight eleven. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. The Spirit of God, the power of God lives in you. This is not symbolic power. It isn't. It's real power. Spirit of God power. But if the scoffers are right, if the tomb was not really empty, if Jesus was not raised to life again, if it was only a spiritual resurrection, then where is the power? Where is the purpose? If God's not able... If God is not able to raise Christ from the dead, and they claim he isn't, then he's not all-powerful. And if he can't raise Christ from the dead, then he can't raise us from the dead either. And if we will not be raised from the dead, and this life is all there is, let me tell you, why are you here this morning? Because those pews are not comfortable. They're not, and we sang way too long. And you could have been out on the golf course, or out on your boat, or if it's rainy, you could have been in bed with a good novel. Why are you here? If there is no resurrection, there is no purpose. There is no power. What Paul longs for is for us to experience the life-changing power of God, the power of God that worked inside 
that dead body of Jesus and put life back into him. The power that unwrapped those strips that wrapped the dead body of Jesus. The power that rolled away that tremendous stone so that death could not hold Jesus any longer. Paul wants to experience that power in his own life and he wants all believers to experience it. He writes this in 1 Ephesians, that the Christians there might know the incomparably great power for us who believe. He wants them to know the incomparably great power for us who believe, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Paul doesn't hope that the Ephesians just know the objective fact, God's power raised Christ from the dead. That's not what he wants them to know. He wants them to experience in their lives God's power at work, like it was at work in raising Christ from the dead. It's an intellectual understanding of who Christ is, joined with this emotional experience that impacts and changes the hearts and its emotions and its passions. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that affects our lives in a very real way. The power to have our sins forgiven. As I said already, sin has a hold. I didn't say it. God's Word says it. Sin has a hold on all of us. Without the power of God, we are slaves to sin, and you know that's true. You can't stop doing what you know you shouldn't do. You want to stop, you can't. You know it's true. You're a slave to sin. But Christ, through his death and resurrection, frees us from the power of sin. Romans 4.25 Christ was delivered over to death because of our sin and raised to life for our justification. Christ died as the necessary sacrifice for our sins. And he was raised to life to justify us, to make us right before God. That's the power of the resurrection. Because it proves once and for all that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was powerful enough to pay for all of our sins. And so whenever Satan accuses us, we might call it our conscience, saying, God would never forgive you. God would never forgive you. Not this time. Not for that. You are such a terrible person. You can say that may be true, but Jesus rose from the dead. Therefore, I'm justified. Having believed in Jesus, I am righteous. I am made right before God's eyes. There is power. The resurrection. There's power in our lives not just to be forgiven of sins, but there's power in our life to conquer sin itself. Jesus' resurrection power doesn't end with our forgiveness. His resurrection also empowers us to conquer the sin in our lives. Paul, again in Ephesians 4, says, Put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. In Christ, the word of God promises that we are new. We are made new. His spirit lives within us. Satan tries to deceive us again. He tries to make us think that we are still his. And he uses habits that are ingrained in us over the years to make us believe that that's true. Yeah, you know what? There's no hope for me. I'm never going to change. Remember Pavlov, the behavioral scientist? Remember Pavlov and his dogs? You know, every time he rang a bell, he fed the dogs. He rang the bell, there was the food, he fed the dogs. Well then, you know what happened? Before the dogs ever saw the food, before they ever smelled the food, when Pavlov rang the bell, the dogs began to salivate because they had knew that food was coming. A familiar stimulus triggers something in you and me. A bell rings. Someone hurts us. We automatically hurt back. 
Instead of praying by the power of Christ, I'll turn the other cheek. Someone talks badly about us. We automatically talk badly about them. Instead of saying by the power of God, I'm going to return a word of kindness for a word of evil. Something stimulates us. Something tempts us that we see visually. Something that we have to have. So our thoughts automatically turn to coveting that thing, to lusting after that thing, instead of, by the power of Christ, meditating on the riches that are ours in Christ and the satisfaction that we have in Him alone. Someone is weaker than we are and we want to suppress them or oppress them instead of saying, by the power of Christ, I will lend my strength to them. I will give them a helping hand. I will help them up. Someone is less savvy than we are. And we are tempted to exploit them or use them for our own gain instead of saying, you know what, by the resurrection of power of Christ, I consider this person better than myself. And in love and kindness, I want to help them do what they may not be able to do. That they may not be smart enough or savvy enough to do for themselves. That's the justice. That's the mercy that the Lord is pleased with. The, The justice and the mercy that the Lord requires of his people. And so we need power from inside of ourselves if we'll ever be able to extend it to others. And that power comes to us through the resurrection of Christ from the dead because he does sit at the right hand of God the Father because he does from that position pour out his power on us so that we can break the power of sin in our lives and become more like Christ so that we can say no to ungodliness and sin and live a a, a life of faith in Christ. Only through the resurrection power. And finally, there's real power in our lives. Real power in our lives to be God's agents in this world. Because you know what? Christianity isn't all about you or all about me and my personal forgiveness and my uh, personal conquering of sin in my life. It, It goes beyond that. God has a bigger purpose for our salvation than that. He's determined That forgiven people like you and like me will be his agents of change in the world. Perhaps this love that the reverend in Texas speaks about. God's resurrection power not only enables us to defeat sin, but to share and display his gospel message of love to the world. Jesus said, you, you, you are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that God has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. God could zap everybody like he zapped Paul as he was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians. And the light flashed from heaven and the Lord Jesus spoke from heaven to Paul. He could do it that way. But that's not normally the way that God chooses to work. He chooses to work through people like you and me, weak as we are, limited as we are, to show his power through our weakness. Paul says, or God says, uh, Paul records it, my power is made perfect in weakness. God's power working through us, working mightily through us, even though we are weak and unworthy. No one will ever see Christ in you or in me through our weakness. They won't. If the resurrection is a figment of our spiritual imagination, you're never going to see Christ. An empty symbol provides only imaginary power. And that's the truth. But we know that the resurrection 
is not just spiritual. It is a powerful, physical reality. Do you believe that? Because the resurrection is a power, physical reality, you, as a believer in Christ, should expect change to come to your life. You should expect it. The power to change. You should expect the power to overcome sin in your life. You should expect the power to be able to act and react differently than your human nature makes you want to act. You should expect that God, by His power working through you, will use you as an instrument in His hands to minister to others, to even bring them to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what is possible for us. And so no wonder Paul says, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. You know what? I want to end with this. I can't get away on Easter Sunday without reading this passage from 1 Corinthians. You know what? Because you might have gone to sleep. I'm going to ask you to stand up. Because you need to hear this. And I need to hear it. 1 Corinthians 15. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say, that there is no resurrection of the dead. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we've testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and this is the worst part. You are still lost in your sins. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your mighty power. We thank you for uh, your power that calls you to leave heaven and your power that enabled you to limit yourself uh, to come to earth in the form of a baby to 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 live the life that you live we thank you for the power that you have god to to replace death with life to breathe life again to cause christ to come to life we are overwhelmed and amazed when we read the promises of your word that that same power the same power that you exerted in raising Christ from the dead is working in us. So, Father, we pray forgiveness for you for, for, for doubting that promise. We ask your forgiveness for not using that power in our lives, for being passive, for not working with you and the power that you have given us to, to be forgiven of sin, to conquer the sin in our lives, to go out into the world with the power that you have given us to bring true change to the world. Not a false change, not something we produce within us, but but real change that comes from your power, the power of your love and gospel working in us and through us. So I pray, Lord, that as we walk out the doors today, we will look for the power to change our lives. We pray that we will expect to be different people, and we pray that you would use us, Lord, as instruments of change here in the city of Charleston, or for those who are visiting with us this morning as they go back to their homes, that the power of Christ would be at work in them, affecting change in the lives around them. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.